This is the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your Spirit by the power of your Word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Now, church, transcendence, this is this big word of something, something bigger than us, something more amazing than us, something majestic and powerful and holy, is a word and or a substance that often escapes us. We, are, we tend to be rather down-to-earth people, rather practical people. So we like, for instance, to have our seminary professors tell our preachers to be When you're putting together a sermon, make sure you give them something to do. Because they need to have something to do. Because I have to leave you with something to do so you can go away saying, okay, if I just do this, if I just make this better, if I just follow this, then things are going to be okay. But the problem is, is that then we come across our text this morning. And what we are offered up is this transcendent God, this majestic God, this God of mystery That doesn't give us much to do. There is one command, and we'll get to that in a second. But there's no, go and do this and things will be better. It's actually Jesus going, ta-da, here I am. And it transforms these disciples, makes them fall face down. Well, one of the things that Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 is he says of, of pastors, he says of preachers, he says of scribes, of teachers of the law who have gone from, from the law to the gospel, call, gone from death to life, gone from what they were teaching into the kingdom of heaven and, and teaching on that. He says what they do is they, they dig into their storehouses and they bring out of their treasures things both old and new. Well, one of the problems that I have is that I hold on to sermons on my computer So I can go back in time and I can look at the things that I've preached on Transfiguration Sunday because it comes up every single year. And so I I get worried that I'm going to repeat myself. But the nice thing about Transfiguration is that it's one of those situations where we bring out both old and new. We bring out the story and yet it should be new to us all the time because in our down-to-earth practical things, we need this newness of Jesus coming to us in His majesty. Coming to us in His glory. So we might see him better when we do see him down to earth in his things like a cross and the empty tomb. So this morning I could talk to you about things that I've talked to you about before, like mountains. 
We just heard Mike read from Exodus 24 about Mount Sinai, about the giving of the commandments, the giving of the revelation of God to us for our instruction, it says. And what do we see but the glory of the Lord coming in a consuming fire, in power, in something that people feared and were afraid of, and yet it's that God who deigns to speak to us, to hand us over his revelation in that way through Moses and through his word. We could talk about Elijah, because Elijah comes up in our text too. Mount Carmel, anybody? Mount Carmel? Not Not Mount Caramel, Mount Carmel. If you remember the story, Elijah feels like he's the only prophet left in, uh, of God, the Lord. And, and he's living amongst the people who worship Baal, this, this idol in the northern tribes of Israel. And so he gives them a challenge. He says, okay, you 400 prophets of Baal, we're going to meet on Mount Carmel and we're both going to build altars. And we're both going to sacrifice oxen. But you can't bring any fire. And then what you're going to need to do is you are going to need to pray to your God and I'm going to pray to my God. And whichever God sends fire, that's the God that we're going to worship. And so these 400 prophets of Baal, they do all the preparations, they dance around, they cut themselves, they scream out to God, nothing happens. Elijah prepares his altar, puts the sacrifice on it, dumps piles and piles of water on it, to soak everything, soak the wood, soak the oxen, soak the rocks, soak the ground, soak everything, and he does one simple prayer and the consuming fire comes down and engulfs everything and takes it away, including the rocks. And this God comes in that way, in that power. And I'm dwelling on that because I ask you, church, is there something of power in this place for you this morning? Is there something of the majesty of God present for you in your worship here? This morning, the fact that we deign to come before this God of the Mount of Transfiguration, before this God of Mount Sinai, before this God of Mount Carmel, before this God of Mount Calvary, to pray and to know that He hears us, this one of power and this one of glory. Well, I could also talk to you about Moses and Elijah. We had them in our readings. I've already talked to you about them for a little bit here. Moses and Elijah show up. And they're the bookends of Scripture for us. Moses representing the the beginning of the Scriptures. We call them the first five books of Moses, Genesis through, through Deuteronomy. And then Elijah is the last word of the Old Testament for us in Malachi. Malachi speaks of this Elijah that is to come, this new Elijah, to prepare his people. And all the pictures we ever see of the transfiguration, who do we find standing between them? But Christ. They're speaking to us, telling us, This is why he says the only commandment he gives to us in this story this morning, listen to him. Because in his word, God gives to us Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, gifts us Christ. It's why when he speaks from the cloud and he says to the disciples, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and he gives us the only command of what we're supposed to do, listen to him. And he sits there between the two ends of Scripture to showcase for us that Christ is Scripture to us. Church, we're going to be starting Lent soon. Are you being called to listen, to open up His Word, to hear what God has to speak to you? This God of power and majesty deigns to hand you His gift of His Word, to hear Him, to hear of His promises. Well, one of my favorites... Another sermon that could be preached would be Peter and his tents. 
This is one of my favorites. Because we have all this glory, all this majesty, and we always can count on Peter to mess everything up. Because he has to open his big mouth and he says, well, it's good for us to be here, Jesus. So I'm going to build three skinas, three tabernacles, three tents, three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Why? Because you are so fear-making fear for me, Jesus. I'm going to put you in a box and I'm going to leave you up here on this mountain. And I'll go back down the mountain and if I need you, I know where to find you. Because this is where I last left you, on this mountain. To keep you there. To wrangle this wild Jesus that none of us can. And it's funny that then the cloud speaks. It says, before he was done speaking, Peter, before, before Peter was done speaking, God speaks. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him saying to us that the mountaintop faith is not enough for us, even when we want the things bright and glorious, but that sometimes we need the walking in the valley of the shadow of death faith. That we need Jesus to be with us in those places. We need to go, Jesus, to come down that mountain. Well, I can also speak to you of God's promise that is spoken to us here. It's the second time we hear these words, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, the first time, was at Christ's baptism. And this was for the benefit of the disciples, and it's for the benefit of us that it might be repeated, because, dear church, your baptism is connected to Christ's baptism. You are buried with Christ in your baptism and raised to new life. So when that cloud speaks, when the word of God comes forth to proclaim this proclamation to Jesus, saying, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that is a word for you my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That there's nothing for you to do when you leave here today to change that. The only problem is, is that we like to take that promise and put it in one of Peter's tents and leave it there. And maybe we'll go back and find it sometime, but we need Jesus to be walking with us and whispering that in our ears all the time in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of the times that we feel like we've left God behind, He is there to speak that promise to us. Well, lastly, we have two other bookends. We have, we have the, the beginning of, of the reading that we had where it said, after six days, and then we have, as they were coming down the mountain. Well, when we see things like, after six days, we have to, always have to look back and say, six days after what? Well, all we have to do is go back one page. One page to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 is where Jesus asks a question of his disciples. He says, what do people say about me? Who do people say that I am? And his disciples say, well, some people say you're that Elijah from Malachi. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets brought back from the dead. Others, others think you're, you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then he asks the most important question and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, gifted by the Holy Spirit, gifted by God, says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. And then Jesus goes on to tell them what this Christ is going to look like, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. And then Peter... I always count on Peter, takes Jesus inside and says, no, 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 you wait, Jesus. That's not the type of Messiah I'm looking for. 
The Messiah I'm looking for is going to come in power. He's going to come in glory with His army and His, and his cavalry. And they're going to kick out the Romans. And then I'm going to sit at your right hand as your right hand stooge forever in your kingdom as you rule Jerusalem and Israel. And we do all this political wonder work. And then Jesus makes a confession to Peter and confesses Peter as Satan. and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't consider the things of God. You're considering the things of man. And then Jesus tells us that we're supposed to take up our cross daily and follow him. And then six days later, they go up that mountain that he might display his glory, display who he was, exactly who he was. And then he tells them, as they're coming down the mountain, don't tell this story until I'm raised from the dead. Because in transfiguration, we have this picture of this Jesus we want in power and glory and majesty and will make everything perfect and all light. And yet Jesus comes down the mountain too and he's on his way to being the man of sorrows, the suffering servant, where suffering defines Jesus Christ for us. Where suffering actually becomes something of God's holiness for us, his godliness his radiance and power and beauty being tied to that. And in those words, when he says, don't tell anyone about this until I'm raised from the dead, he basically steals from us any opportunity to dwell just on the majesty of God, but to dwell on the fact that that majesty of God is self-contained and that Jesus bloodied, broken, and dying on a cross for you. Taking that majestic awe-inspiring Jesus and making him the most humble, the most suffering. Well, the life of the Christian is one who clings to the godly things in the dying Jesus, the God of the glorious suffering. But it's funny that the next words spoken of Jesus after the cloud speaks is he comes to his disciples and he touches them and he says, Arise, do not be afraid. And he tells them, Arise, because he is a dying God coming to save dying sinners. But he speaks even to his disciples and says, Arise, because that is the word that we need to hear. That's speaking to us of this God who is so powerful to raise the dead that he dies himself for you, so that he might be raised, that you might be with him in his glory forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.